Welcome to Dinosaur George Kids, a show for anyone who loves dinosaurs. Dinosaur George has studied paleontology for over 50 years and has performed live to over 4 million students across the world. So sit back and enjoy today's show. Now, here's Dinosaur George. Well, hey, good morning, all of my future paleontologists. It is a Monday in January, and I'm hoping that you all have had a good month so far. I believe it's January the 18th is is today's date. Before we get started, I've got a shout out to schools that I did virtual lessons for this past week. The first one is King Elementary in Katy, Texas. I had a great time talking to all of you. Then Spears Elementary in Frisco, Texas. That's up near Dallas. And then Allen Elementary in Frisco, Texas. Wow, two schools in Frisco, Texas. I had such a great time doing virtual lessons for them. It's just so much fun. I enjoy it immensely. And the great thing about virtual lessons is no matter where you are located in the world, I can do a virtual lesson for your group or for you personally. I've had some parents that have hired me just to do their child, just to have a private lesson. So that's all available to you. And I've enjoyed it very much. So just wanted to give a shout out to all of those schools. And I've got a bunch of schools this week that uh, towards the end of the week, I've got a bunch, a bunch of them. So very looking forward to that. Now, so, uh, so much is happening with our company. First of all, I'm getting so many comments from, from you guys that are going through the Dinosaur George uh, website or through the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group sending me comments about how much you enjoy these podcasts. I am so glad that you do. I'm so glad that you enjoy them. You make it all worthwhile. And then also we're growing so many new members of the Patreon club. That thing has really taken off. Very excited about that. Getting so many new members of Patreon club. So um, I hope if, if you would like, I hope you guys will consider joining the Patreon club because that certainly helps us to be able to continue to do these podcasts. Now, I hope you're wearing your winter coats. Of course, it is January. You should be wearing your winter coat, depending on where you live. It may not be winter in uh, Australia. And by the way, special shout out to all my Australian friends and my Australian Patreon club members. We have seen Australia. Wow. You guys really are starting to listen to this podcast. I see a report every week of where people are listening, and they're listening all over the world. But Australia's really had a spike in in listeners. So Australia, my Australian friends, thank you all so very much. I don't know if it's winter there or not. But anyway, everybody needs to put on their winter jackets because we're going back to the Ice Age. It's time for our feature creature segment. If you would like to suggest a creature, go to the Dinosaur George Kids podcast page at dinosaurgeorge.com or post your suggestion on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group page. Now, here is your feature creature. We are going back to the period of time known as the Ice Age to learn about the woolly mammoth. Now, the woolly mammoth is, is a very misunderstood prehistoric elephant because... 
When people hear anything about the Ice Age, the first image that usually comes to our mind is those big fur-covered mammoths, those giant that we consider them part of the megafauna, which is the word used to describe the big living animals like the ground sloth and the giant bison and, of course, elephants. Now, there was a lot of different species of elephants. Bunches throughout our history, throughout Earth's history, there have been dozens and dozens and dozens of elephants, some twice as big as the, as the one we call the woolly mammoth. Now, the woolly mammoth's real scientific name is Mammothus primogenius. Mammothus primogenius. That's its true name. The word woolly mammoth is just simply a nickname that people came up with to describe it. It's not called the woolly mammoth. That's a nickname. Mammothus primogenius is its name. Now, the males are about the same. Well, both the males and the females are about the same size as modern African elephants. The biggest males were probably between 2.7 and 3.4 meters, or that's 8.9 or 11.2 feet. So they're big. I mean, these are big animals. Like I said, they're the size of the African elephant. And they probably weigh about the sun, about, uh, weigh about the same amount as a modern African elephant. But I mention the African elephant for size, but they are related to the Asian elephant. They're not very closely related to African elephants. You know, when we think about the elephants today, we always think about Asian and African elephants, and we just assume that they're the same animal, just two different continents, but that's incorrect. Asian and African elephants are not very closely related. I believe it's the African elephant that has five toes. The Asians have four toes, so they don't even have the same number of toes. Their ears are different. Their body is a little bit different. Their tusks are different. So the woolly mammoth, and I'm not going to call him mammoth primogenius for the rest of the show because that's too big of a word. I'm going to say woolly mammoth. But the woolly mammoth is a very closely related elephant to the Asian elephant. Very closely related. So they would weigh, but they're still about the size and the weight of an African elephant. So the reason why I'm talking about the African elephant is simply because that gives us a good example of size and weight. Not that they're anything close to an African elephant other than size and weight. These things lived all throughout Eurasia and down into North America, and they lived during the Pleistocene, which is also called the Ice Age, and that was about a million years ago is when they first showed up. Now, the mammoths, because like I said, there's so many different kinds of prehistoric elephants, so many different kinds of prehistoric elephants. Um, but the woolly mammoth itself lived during the Pleistocene. Now, these things are big. They're very, very large. They're, they're absolutely huge. But they still had predators. And predators would have included things like bears, some of the wolves, maybe the saber cats, and even early humans. You know, there's a lot of evidence where early humans hunted these things and cut, cut up the meat and butchered them. They actually find markings on the bone where early humans were using scrapers made of rock to scrape the meat off the bone the way a butcher would work today. So mammoths were around for a long time. You know, there's some people that believe that humans caused them to go extinct. I don't agree with that because humans and mammoths lived together for, for a very, very long time. So I don't believe for a moment that humans caused them to, to become extinct. I think it was environmental. The interesting thing about a mammoth are its teeth. 
they are four molars, two on the bottom, two on the top. And a mammoth's tooth is different from most other animals in that the way a mammoth lost its teeth, the whole tooth didn't fall out. They lost them in sections, thin sections would break off. And as the tooth continued to grow, the sections continued to break off and then a new tooth would emerge. Now we believe if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, this has been a long time since I studied this, but I believe that mammoths could regrow six sets of teeth. So throughout their life, they lose their teeth constantly, little by little, not the whole tooth. They lose a section at a time. And as that tooth gets smaller, a new tooth would grow behind it and ultimately take its place. Well, that would happen six times. After the sixth set of teeth grew in and it lost them, it couldn't grow back any new teeth. So that means the really old mammoths would have died of starvation because they couldn't chew up their food. They would run out of teeth. And if you don't have teeth, you can't grind up the plants. And if you don't grind up the plants into pieces, your body cannot digest them properly. And the plants go right through your digestive system. And when you poo out the other end, you haven't, uh, you haven't, your body hasn't taken, hasn't gotten all the nutrients before it went out the other end of your body. So you're not, no matter how much you eat, you slowly starve. So old mammoths may have died of starvation and not old age because they ran out of teeth. The reason why your parents tell you to chew your food, there's two reasons why they tell you to chew your food properly. Don't swallow big chunks. First is you don't want to choke. You don't want that food to get caught in your, in your throat. But the other reason is if you do not chew your food, your body won't digest it. And when you go to the bathroom, that food goes out the other end and it's not been digested properly. So you have to grind up and chew your food into little pieces so that your body gets to take advantage of it. Food is like a, is like a birthday present. It looks super cool on the outside, but if you don't open it up and get to the inside, you don't know what's in there. Food is the same way. If you don't chew it up and grind it up, your body can't get the nutrition. So mammoths, when they got old, after they lost their sixth set of teeth, then they no longer could chew their food. And their teeth are different. Uh, their teeth are very different because they're flat. They're made for eating grass. Now, there was another elephant living with the mammoth, and those were called mastodons. Again, not the same animal. Yes, they're similar. Yes, they fit into the same family group. But mammoths and mastodons are two different things, two totally different things. So mastodons have teeth that are kind of like our back teeth, our, our big teeth in the back. They're kind of big and bumpy. They're made for chewing up leaves and twigs. M mammoth's teeth are flat for grinding up leaves. I mean, I'm sorry, grass. Mammoths ate grass mastodons ate leaves and twigs this is some this is an example of how nature 
can allow two giant animals to live together at the same time in the same place, but not compete with each other. See, if everybody ate the exact same food, they would be competing with each other and one would get wiped out because the other would eat all the food. But if one of them is eating grass and the other is eating leaves, they can be standing side by side and not competing with each other. It's a big difference between these two. When you look at a mammoth, a mammoth has big curved tusks that go down and curve up. Their teeth are flat and look totally different. They have a big lump on top of their head and a big one on their shoulder. Mastodons are usually smaller, have a more compact body. Their tusks are not deeply curved and their teeth are totally different. So mammoths and mastodons coexisted at the same time, but they are not the same animal. It, they're, just, they're just two big animals. Think about a rhino and an elephant. I mean, a rhino and a hippo. A rhinoceros and a hippopotamus look very similar. If you take away the horn, they look pretty similar. But they're not the same thing. And they eat two different foods. And so they don't necessarily compete with each other because they don't really live in the exact same area. But, I mean, they do see each other all the time. But they are able to eat different types of food. Those rhinos can eat very hard thorns and twigs and bushes. Hippos simply eat grass. So mammoths and mastodons are two giant elephants that both lived at the same time with each other, but they were totally different. Now, one of the things that I absolutely find fascinating about mammoths is the color. Almost every picture or painting you see of a, of a mammoth, it's always red. Why do they make them red? There's two reasons why they always make them red. One, cave paintings. Early humans used to live in caves and would paint on the walls, and they would paint the things they would see around them. And early humans always used red-colored mud to paint with when they painted a mammoth. They always painted them red. And people are like, why are they always painting them red? Well, they find frozen mammoths in the ice. Scientists find them today, frozen mammoths in ice. So we can actually see them. And what do we see? Their hair is red. That's why mammoths are always colored red, because that's what color they were. We actually have frozen mammoths where they died and were completely frozen. And as long as their body never thawed out, they they're still there. Their blood is frozen. Their DNA is frozen. Their hair is frozen. The food in their stomach is frozen. Scientists know so much about mammoths because they find them frozen in ice. Yes, it is possible to clone a mammoth because we have the DNA. In fact, I believe the, there are Russian and Japanese scientists that are working together to try to clone a mammoth. Now, that's a whole different subject for another day of whether we should or can bring them back. I don't know if we should or not, um, but they have the ability to do it, or at least they're trying to have the ability to do it. But taking away, for, forget the fact that they find DNA and maybe one day you'll see a living, breathing woolly mammoth. The fascinating thing about those mammoths are that they are able to to find all kinds of information. Like, for instance, it's DNA. They can compare its DNA. That's how, when I told you they were related to Indian, uh, Asian elephants instead of African, they know that because of the DNA. They know that 
because of the DNA. That is absolutely fascinating. And by the way, speaking about their hair, they have two different kinds of hair on their body. On the outside, the the outer layer, that was long and red. And it turns out it's waterproof. It's like a coat. It's like a jacket. When it snowed on top of it, that snow just slid right off. It was like a coating of wax on a car. The hair under the outside is real kind of thick and fluffy, more like a coat. So that would have been the hair that kept its body warm. The outer edge, the hair on the outside, the far outside of the body, that was weatherproofing. It was insulated. It kept them warm as well, but it kept snow and ice off of them. So they actually had two different kinds of hair. The hair closest to the skin was very thick and fluffy. And the outer hair was long and red and used as a way to keep ice from forming on its back. Or when it rained, the water just ran right off. Never got him wet. His skin never got wet. It's an amazing animal. Absolutely amazing animal. One other thing about the woolly mammoths is that I told you earlier, they did live with humans. And humans used their bones and their tusks to make tools and art, even houses. They actually found where they had taken, where early humans had taken the tusks and the leg bones and some of the other bones of mammoths and built a house out of them to live in. It almost looked like a teepee or like an igloo. How crazy is that? How insane is that? And here's the last thing I want to tell you, and this is going to blow your mind. This is going, this is going to blow your mind. When I first found out, when I first heard this, I didn't believe it. I had to go look it up. This, was, this, this blew my mind. Now, most of the mammoths died out about 10,000 years ago. The woolly mammoth died out about 10,000 years ago. But there were some miniature mammoths, dwarf mammoths, that lived on islands. And some of them survived well beyond that. There's a place called St. Paul Island where they think almost 5,600 years ago there were still mammoths living on it. And then there's a place called Wrangell Island where those mammoths were alive only 4,000 years ago. Now, that sounds like a lot of time, but let me explain this to you. Do you realize that when the Egyptians were building the pyramids, there were still mammoths alive on earth? You heard me right. When the Egyptians were building the pyramids, there were mammoths living on a place called Wrangell Island. W-R-A-N-G-E-L, Wrangell Island. There were some small uh, we call them pygmy mammoths. They were smaller in size because they lived on an island. There wasn't as much few food. So the, there were mammoths alive when the pyramids were being built. That's pretty crazy. And, and I forgot one other thing I wanted to mention. When I talked to you about how the mammoths and the mastodons live side by side, and one of the differences between them is the big curly tusks. When we find mammoth tusks, they are always flat on the bottom where they've been rubbed across the ground. They actually rub them flat. And scientists at first wondered, why are, these, why are these tusks flat on the bottom instead of round like the rest of it? Well, that's because mammoths eat grass. When it snows, grass is covered by the snow, right? So for an, in order for a mammoth to find food during the winter, it would lower its head and rub its head back and forth across the ground like a snow shovel pushing away the snow and uncovering the, the grass. We know that because its tusks are flat. Mastodons don't do that. 
Remember where I said a mastodon gets his food? They eat leaves and twigs. It's unlikely that a tree gets buried in snow. So they don't have to dig for their food. Their food is there in front of them. They do have tusks, obviously. But they're not being used like snow shovels. So the woolly mammoth is a giant snow shovel. And every picture you see of it, it's always in the snow. It didn't snow every single day during the Ice Age. Mammoths didn't live where it snowed every day because if it snowed every single day, there would be no plants. Mammoths traveled around to find its food source. In the harshest winter, it probably moved further south where it was a little warmer. Now, because they're covered in in hair, they can't live in the deepest part. Like they can't live all the way down in South America. It'd be too warm. But they would migrate during the hardest part of the winter. So every picture you ever see of a mammoth, they're always standing in snow, but that's not realistic. Mammoths were living in a variety of different places. Back in 2007, I got an opportunity to go into the University of Texas uh, in Austin at their collections room. And in their collection room, they had found a woolly mammoth tooth that had reportedly been found near Houston. Now, one of the problems the professor told me was that the uh, they didn't have a proper documentation, but it may have been possible that the woolly mammoth may have come as far south as Texas during what would be the harshest winter. Because during the winter, they would be driven farther south to find food. And maybe one particular time it got so cold that they were able to come much farther south. Who knows? But all I can tell you is the woolly mammoth is an absolutely amazing animal that would have been here even when the pyramids were being built. All right, when we come back, we're going to do a bunch of Ask DG questions. Become a member of the Dinosaur George Patreon Club and join the fun. We offer different club levels, each with their own set of benefits. Private lessons, new discoveries, behind-the-scene access, and much more are all part of being a club member. Visit DinosaurGeorge.com and sign up today. All right. This first question comes from Oliver, who happens to be a Patreon member. Oliver says, Dear Dinosaur George, if there weren't many natural predators of Ankylosaurus, then what stopped them from spreading until there were tons of them everywhere? What a good observation. Earlier, I had mentioned about Ankylosaurus and how I did not believe that uh, dinosaurs, that predators messed with adults because they were too well protected. So that's a great question, Oliver. It's okay if that happens then. How come there weren't millions of them? Well, nature has a way of balancing itself out. Animals that can grow to live to be very old, the way nature works, it ensures that there's not too many because when the ankylosaur females laid the eggs, they didn't lay many eggs. And maybe they only nested once a year. Maybe instead of laying dozens of eggs, they only laid one or two or three eggs a year. And then those babies would hatch. So nature would make sure that there wouldn't be too many um, by um, by controlling how many babies they would have had uh, in their life. So that's my opinion. And, you know, other things also would have been a, a situation, Oliver. You know how I mentioned predators, disease may have been a possibility. The problem with ankylosauruses is that they their body is low to the ground, and that means there's a limited amount of food that they can reach. If there was a drought, and food became short or in short supply, 
then all animals are going to eat the food closest to the ground first because that's that's where most of it was located. They may not have been able to get enough food during a drought. That might have wiped out some of their numbers. There's a number of ways nature controls uh, animal numbers, and that, that would be a way. Drought could be an issue. Uh, maybe flooding. Maybe they weren't good swimmers. Maybe if there was a flood, they would simply get wiped out. I don't know, Oliver. That's a good question, but I do think there are ways that nature prevents that. Okay, Michael, age 10, from New South Wales, Australia. Hey, one of my Australia buddies. Michael says, can Spinosaurus swim? Yes, it appears, Michael, that Spinosaurus was a very good swimmer. They finally discovered the, the fossilized tail of a Spinosaurus. Spinosaurus bones were hard to find, but they finally found a tail. And that tail appears to be like a crocodilian's tail where it would be able to use it to swim. So, yes, Michael, I think they were excellent swimmers. Okay, Autumn, age 10 from Rhode Island. Were there any omnivore dinosaurs? Yes, Autumn, there were. And by the way, Autumn, I spoke. I think I spoke to your school. If you guys are in Rhode Island, I spoke to your school not long ago. Um, yeah, there were omnivores, a bunch of them. Uh, Timimus, Gallimimus, Truthiomimus, or Nithomimus. Um probably oviraptors. Uh, there was a lot of dinosaurs that were omnivores. And, and being an omnivore, there's lots of omnivores today, right? Bears are omnivores, pigs, we humans are omnivores. So there are a lot of omnivores because it allows us to take advantage of all the food. And so the same would have happened with dinosaurs. All right, Nolan, age eight, from Warwick, Rhode Island. How many species of dinosaurs were there? Warwick, I'll bet you anything you go to school with Autumn. I bet you're in the same school because you're both from Rhode Island from the same area. Uh, how many species of dinosaurs? I want to say I think there's something like 1,500, or maybe 1,800 different known species of dinosaurs. We don't really know how many there were because not all dinosaurs have been found. For all of you young listeners, let me tell you this. There are so many dinosaur bones still out there. There will be plenty of discoveries for you 20 years from now, 30, 50, 100 years from now. You don't have to worry about ever running out of dinosaur bones to dig up. So how many could there have been, Nolan? Maybe thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of species, possibly. Maybe even more than that. But that's a great question, buddy. Okay, James, age three, from Woonsocket, Rhode Island. Wow, a lot of you guys from Rhode Island. Why does a dinosaur eat other dinosaurs? Hi, James. How are you, buddy? Or it's Jamie. I'm sorry, it's Jamie. I said James. Jamie. Jamie, nature has a balance. And what I mean by balance is if there was nothing but plant-eating dinosaurs, they would eat all the plants, and then there would be nothing left to eat for anyone, and they would all die. So you have to have meat eaters. To eat some of the plant eaters so that the plant eaters don't eat all of the plants. Meat eaters have a job. And that's to make sure that the, that, that the balance of nature exists. The balance of nature means we have to have enough plants because they make oxygen. We have to have plant eaters because if they, they have to keep some of the plants from growing, other plants will completely cover everything. And then you have to have meat eaters to eat the plant eaters. So meat-eating dinosaurs had a job. All right, Ella, age nine, from Austin, Texas. What makes something a dinosaur, and when did dire wolves live and die? Ella, the way science works is we put things into groups based on similarities, where things are similar, sort of the same. And so to be a dinosaur, there are certain, like, it, it depends on 
the way your legs are positioned on your body? Do they go straight up and down? They don't stick out to the side like a reptile? There's things like how many vertebra are in the hips. There's things like the kinds of bones in your body. And also when you lived. If you are a terrestrial dinosaur, you only lived in the Mesozoic era. So animals before that are not dinosaurs and animals after that are not dinosaurs, except for birds. Birds are the only exception. Birds are dinosaurs and they're still alive today. But the terrestrial dinosaurs, the ones living on land, the ones you and I think of, T-Rex, Triceratops, Allosaurus, all of those, um, they all have the same similar features that puts them within the family. When did dire wolves live and die? They lived during the Ice Age as well, during the Pleistocene. I believe they all died out at the end of the Pleistocene as well, probably based on the changing environment. All right. uh, Last one is from Sean, age eight, from San Antonio. Did velociraptors hunt in groups? Oh, Sean, I met you and your mom and dad and sister at Trader's Village last weekend. I remember you, Sean. I told you I was going to put your question on this podcast. I hope you get to hear it. Velociraptors hunted in groups because it would have allowed them to catch bigger prey. When you hunt by yourself, you have a limited amount of success. The only reason why cheetahs hunt by themselves usually is they're fast enough to catch most of their prey. But most other carnivores really prefer to hunt in groups. Not all of them. Leopards hunt by themselves. Uh, cougars hunt by themselves, but and tigers hunt by themselves. But that's because they live in environments where they can camouflage and hide. But out in the open, you're not very successful hunting by yourself unless you're a speed demon like like um, a cheetah. So velociraptors would have probably hunted in groups because that would have uh, allowed them to catch more prey. They could take on bigger prey. And that's probably why they hunted in groups. All right. You guys feel like battling? Does anybody feel like getting in the ring with a prehistoric animal to figure out who would win? What if two different prehistoric creatures fought? Who would win? T-Rex versus a giant wolf? Raptor versus Terror Bird? Spinosaurus versus Triceratops. You choose the animals, and Dinosaur George will size them up and pick a winner. Now, get ready. It's time to find out who would win. All right. To be able to submit who would win, you have to be a Tyrannosaurus member of the Patreon Club. And so all of these are coming from our Patreon club members. Here we go. This first one is from Caitlin. Caitlin, I just gave you a virtual hug. Caitlin wants to know who would win. Coelophysis versus Compsonathus. Whoa. I like this because both of these are going to be fast. I like this fight a lot, Caitlin. Okay. Coelophysis is going to be taller and longer, but Compsonathus is probably going to be faster and could probably turn um, quicker, be more agile. So Coelophysis, neither of these dinosaurs are heavily built. So now you're talking about attacking each other and trying to probably go for the neck. That's probably the only way you're going to take down one of these two. 
you can bite them in other parts. You could certainly wound them, you know, like bite their legs or something. But in order to take them down completely, you're going to have to go for the throat. And these two are pretty well matched. Coelophysis has it in size. Its, its skull is longer. It certainly has the teeth. It has some pretty sharp claws. Compies, on the other hand, are going to be quicker, going to be harder to catch. Coelophysis is agile, but I don't think he's as quick as Compsonathus. Compies are probably going to be fast enough to stay out of the way. And if that compy can get enough attacks on the foot, on one of the legs, then if the Coelophysis goes down, then the compy's going to win. I don't know. You know, you would think because Coelophysis is bigger, that would mean it would win. But I think, Caitlin, I'm going to give this fight to compies because I think that's a, I think that's a, I think it has a better chance. I personally do. All right. Jeremy writes, Dear Dinosaur George, I would like to send in uh, who would win, Indominus Rex versus T-Rex. Ooh. All right. Now, Jeremy, we all know Indominus Rex is not a real dinosaur, but that doesn't matter. The rules for who would win are you can combine any two animals that you want. So let's start with Indominus Rex. It's got the size. It's got the arms. It certainly has the teeth. It's got all the necessary weapons to make it a top super predator. Tyrannosaurus Rex obviously has power behind it. It's got power behind it. But I am going to have to say that based on everything I know about what Indominus Rex was, I'm going to give this fight to Indominus Rex. I hate to do that, but Jeremy, that's what I think. All right, Lauren wants to know, Cryolophosaurus versus Dilophosaurus. Wow, two unique dinosaurs. That's very cool. Um, Let's start with Cryolophosaurus. Now, not heavily built. It's not really built for a, a, main, a major confrontation. It's got some heavy weapons, don't get me wrong. But the skull has that thin, bony crest on it, which would suggest that this dinosaur is not going in and diving in headfirst into a battle because you'd think it would break that. Same with Dilophosaurus. The double crests on its skull are not very thick and heavy, leading me to believe that these dinosaurs are probably preying on things that are smaller than themselves and not taking on big prey. I think these animals may have been fish eaters as well as anything else they could catch, lizards, uh, anything. But when these two come up against each other, I do believe that a battle would have taken place. I think they would have been more cautious in how they attack. But I believe Cryolophosaurus has an advantage over Dilophosaurus, and that's because of age. Dilophosaurus is an earlier-aged dinosaur. Cryolophosaurus comes along later on, millions of years later. And because of that, I believe it gave it an advantage solely because its brain was probably a little bigger. So in your battle, I'm going to choose Cryolophosaurus as the victor. And finally... I got one from my two new Tyrannosaur members, James Araptor and Williamosaurus Rex. <laughs> Great names, you guys. James Araptor and Williamosaurus Rex. These are two of my new Patreon members. Boys, I'm glad to have you with me. So what fight did they come up with? Cryolophosaurus versus Allosaurus. Whoa. You know, I'm going to need to do a podcast on Cryolophosaurus. I'm going to need to do one. You guys like Cryolophosaurus. I need to do one. 
I think I, I think the next one I'll do, I'll try to do it on Krylophosaurus. So Krylophosaurus versus Allosaurus. Well, Allosaurus is my favorite dinosaur, so I'm always going to cheat when it comes to him. I believe Allosaurus is so much bigger than Krylophosaurus that even though Krylophosaurus was probably more intelligent, was probably faster, was probably more agile, the size difference between these two animals was so great that I believe Allosaurus would completely and absolutely wipe it out. All right, to send in a who would win, you have to be a Tyrannosaurus Rex member of the Patreon Club. And one of the benefits is we randomly choose a Tyrannosaurus member to interview. So coming up next, I am going to do an interview with one of our Tyrannosaurus members. And this one happens to be my little buddy, Emilio Raptor. So hang around for that because it's coming right now. How would you like to be interviewed on a future podcast episode? Well, now you can. Become a Tyrannosaurus member of our Patreon club and you might be chosen for an interview with Dinosaur George. Visit DinosaurGeorge.com to join the club. And now, let's meet a Tyrannosaurus Club member. All right, today's Meet a Tyrannosaur member is my absolute best buddy. This little guy and I have been good friends forever. It is the one and only Emilio Raptor, which is the greatest (laughs) name in the world. Emilio, how did you get the name Emilio Raptor? Because of you. <laughs> what, are you accusing me of naming you Emilio Raptor? Yes. But isn't that a good name? Mm-hmm. Emilio, how old are you, buddy? Eight. Eight years old? Are you married? No. You're not? Okay, I'm just checking. I don't know anything. I'm just checking out. I don't know. So you're eight years old. How long have you liked dinosaurs? Three? Yeah. I think that's about the same time that I uh, that I started liking them. So I love dinosaurs, but I like the fact that you are Emilio Raptor. And you have your own Facebook page, is that right? Yep. Now that's cool. So if somebody goes to Facebook and they look for Emilio Raptor, uh, you post all kinds of dinosaur-related stuff on your page, don't you? Yep. I like that. I like your page a lot. In fact, one of the things that I really appreciate, Emilio, is you always help promote whatever I'm doing. Um, of course, we think of you as an employee when when you come to work with us sometimes at different yeah. places. You're an employee. So I like very much that as an employee, you're helping promote our business because that helps us, right? Yep. So do you like working with us? Yeah. What was the last, do you remember when you, when you came to Trader's Village and we worked with geodes? Do you remember that? Yeah. And And I found a little crystal man. No, that's exactly right. I forgot about that. What did you think about when we were breaking open those geodes? Wasn't that fun? And you know what was really neat is how you learned really quickly and you were talking to the adults and you were explaining about geodes and what we were doing. Did you like doing that? Yeah. Yeah, I liked it a lot. So let me ask you, I know this is always a hard question, but do you have a favorite kind of dinosaur? Yeah. Who do you like the best? Spinosaurus. Why do you like Spinosaurus? Because he has that big sail and he can eat fish and he was taller than t-rex he was it's exactly right now before you knew about spinosaurus who did you have a different favorite back then yeah who did you like before spinosaurus t-rex oh and then spinosaurus comes along and steals your steals your favoritism huh yeah 
I don't blame you. It's big. Now, did you get a chance to see my T-Rex skull or did I, did I, is it, did I send it off to get fixed first? I think I saw it. Did you? I On thought Patreon. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Through Patreon, I had it, but I thought you had seen the real thing, but I'll tell you when it comes back, I'll let you, your mom and dad know, and you guys can come back again. In fact, for everybody listening, uh, Emilio is actually here in the studio. He came in with his family. And, uh, what did you think of the fossils out there? Did you like them? Yep. Did you, did some of those look kind of strange or did you know all of them? Some of them looked kind of strange. Yeah. Some of them are very rare. Like that crocodile looking thing. Remember why I told you it's not a crocodile? Do you remember what I said? Yep. What was it that he's, why is he not a crocodile? Because his nose is in front of his eyes. Absolutely right. Emilio, there's one thing about you that I've been amazed with the entire time I've known you. And that is that I can tell you something one time and you immediately remember it. That was the same way when we were breaking geodes that day, I explained to you how they're made. And the next thing I know, you're telling people how geodes are formed and you're, you're breaking them open. Remember how you, you learned how to work the equipment, right? Yep. It's amazing. Have you always been this smart? Yeah. Are you smarter than your sister? Yes. Ooh, <laughs> ooh, man. <laughs> are you smarter than your dad? Yes. Whoa. <laughs> They're both in the studio. You know that, right? Are you smarter than your mom? Mm-hmm. <sighs> this kid, you turned on the whole family. Are you smarter than me? Yes. You naughty little kid. (laughs) You rotten little kid. I'm even smarter than Winston. Isn't Winston your dog? Yeah. Okay. You are not smarter than Winston. (laughs) Winston has trained you. Do you feed Winston? Yes. Okay. Well, then he's smarter than you because he taught you how to feed him. (laughs) See, if he wasn't as smart, he would have to go in the kitchen and make his own dinner, right? So Winston is smarter than you. (laughs) But okay, I will agree. You're smarter than everybody else. (laughs) Uh, so, you know, your mom and dad I've known for a long time and your grandma and grandpa, which I met your grandparents in a Arby's restaurant. I didn't even know who they were. It was a really weird thing that it, they turned out to be your grandparents. So, uh, I'm friends with all of your family and your sister's a very good athlete, by the way. I follow her a lot and she's a really good athlete. You may be smarter than her, but can you take her in basketball? No. Okay, I'm glad you're finally admitting some things now. Because if you would have said yes, your dad slash coach would have got up and said, uh, no way, kid, you're not better than her right now. So you like Spinosaurus, and I, I like Spinosaurus too. It's an amazing dinosaur. How many dinosaur toys do you have? More than five? Yeah. Less than a million? Yes. <laughs> what is your favorite? Do you have a favorite toy of all? Yeah. Which one is your favorite? Indominus Rex. I like that too. Because that one, it, uh, like when you open the jaws, you can put a tiny toy in it, and then to get it out, you have to reach in the throat and then grab it out. How cool is that? Does it bite you when you reach in the throat? Nope. Well, I mean, that's pretty cool. Do all of your toys fit in down his throat or just the little ones? Uh, it only fits in little ones, ah. not really big ones. That's cool, though. Now, does it that, that does its arms move and stuff like that, or yeah. they do? Yeah, its arms do that. Oh, nice. Do you remember when I talked about how the arms kind of point in instead of down? Is your Indominus Rex, is his arms pointing the right way? Yeah. That's good. I'm glad. And, and there's nothing wrong when you have toys that aren't exactly right, but still, I'm glad that you know the difference between them. That's really cool. So, um... I want to ask you some questions because you're one of the smartest students I've got and my best buddy. Um, why do you think 
plant-eating dinosaurs lived in a group. Why do you think they lived in a group? So they wouldn't get eaten by another carnivore. But if one of their members were sick, then they would probably let a carnivore eat it. And that, you know, and that's and that's right, Emilio, and that's very good. But if one of them was sick and carnivores ate that one, that's it's a shame, but it's good for the rest of the plant eaters, right? Because if it was sick, what would happen if it stayed with the other ones? It would get all the other ones sick. Absolutely right. And that's the way the world works today. Like in Africa, the way lions hunt, lions don't chase around zebras. Zebras are too fast. But if they see a zebra that's hurt or sick, then that's the one that they're going to eat. So then why do you think plant meat eaters hunted in groups? Why did they hunt in groups? So that a herbivore like Triceratops wouldn't stab them. Nice. So, yeah, they could work as a team, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's that's why I think all carnivores probably did that. Now, Spinosaurus might have been different. I don't know if Spinosaurus hunted with a friend, but maybe they did. You know, if they were walking together in a river, they could kind of be driving the fish into the shallow water, right? Mm -hmm. So could you imagine what it'd be like if you looked, if you could travel back in time and you saw like five Spinosauruses walking in a row, kind of driving the fish into the water? How crazy would that be? Really crazy. If you could travel back in time, which dinosaur would you want to see? Spinosaurus and Dunkleosteus. Really? Now, why would you like Dunkleosteus? Because he has armor on his head, like um, an octopus. Right, exactly. That's very good. You're right. He is an armored fish. And those jaws are huge on that thing, too. And I have a hood one with Dunk with that has that has Dunkleosteus in it. Ooh, who is it? Spinosaurus versus Dunkleosteus. Oh. Do you want me to answer it right now or put it on a podcast? Right now. It's fine. All right. So you want to know who would win, Spinosaurus or Dunkleosteus? Okay. First of all, Dunkleosteus obviously is going to be a faster swimmer, right? It's, it's a fish. It's going to be faster. So it's going to be faster. Now, the only thing it could do was bite the legs of Spinosaurus, but... That could be a good way to keep him from attacking, right? Because if you attack his legs, he wouldn't be able to walk. Now, he could still swim, but he couldn't walk. But if Spinosaurus ever clamps down on that fish, game over. But I think Dunkleosteus could be fast enough to take bites out of Spinosaurus until Spinosaurus would probably either give up or he may not survive. But like I said, buddy, one bite from your dinosaur and your poor fish is going to be a fish stick. He's not going to last. And your dad is a fish eater. So just like your dad, Spinosaurus would become a fish eater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So let me ask you this. Would you like to go fossil hunting one day? Do you think that'd be fun? Yeah. Have you ever got to do that before? No, but I've had a dream about it. You did. Can you remember what your dream was? I found a dromaeosaur. It was probably a raptor. Right. Some kind of raptor. It was probably a velociraptor or a different kind of raptor. Right. Or a different species of dinosaur. <sighs> Do you remember digging him up in your dream or did was the skeleton all laid out perfectly? It was all laid out. Man, how exciting would that be though? How cool would it be that if they find a new raptor and named it Emilio Raptor? Would that be like the greatest thing in the world? Yeah, or it was just in the ground, but the but 
it was kind of, but the bones were kind of sticking out right. of the ground. Nice. And, and listen, that's how we find dinosaurs. Like sometimes you might see one tiny little bone sticking out of the dirt and that's it. And then as you clean away the dirt, you start to see more and more bones. Sometimes it's not all there because uh, carnivores could eat the dinosaur right before it died. Or when it died, they could eat the bones and carry away some of them. But how cool would that be? Well, maybe one of these days you and I will go fossil hunting. I will tell you this. There are some places around where you and I live. We both live near San Antonio. Mm -hmm. There's places where we could go. Now, we're not going to find dinosaurs, but we can find like clams and oysters and sea urchins and sea life that existed. So would you like to do that one day? Yeah. Okay. When summer comes, I promise you, you and I will go out and uh, we'll make Amara uh, handle all the digging, right? That's your sister. So her job, will, when you find something, you'll be like, snap your fingers. Uh, fossil hunter, please come over here with your shovel. And you and I'll sit back and go, yeah, <laughs> this is the way to hunt fossils, baby. You and I sit on the back of the truck and Amara gets to do it. I like that plan. Do you think that's a good plan? Don't look over at her because she's going to tell you no. I think it's a good plan. Nicely done. <laughs> Nicely done. Oh, yeah, buddy. So what did you bring with you? You've got some dinosaurs with you, don't you? Yeah. What did you bring? What are those? This is Demetrodon. Right. And I think this is another species of Demetrodon. I think it is. They uh, they grew to be about 18 feet long. So that's like almost the size of that giant truck you drove up in. Were you driving, by the way, or was your dad? My dad. Okay, good. Does he let you drive his truck? No. Man, why is he so selfish <laughs> like that? Tell him, Dad, I'm way old enough to be driving. Just give me the keys, buddy. I'll be back in an hour. <laughs> This may be my last broadcast when I get finished. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so I like those guys because of the sales. And that brings up a, a kind of an interesting question. What do you think the sale of Spinosaurus or Dimetrodon were for? What do you think those were for? For going in the water and then, and then warming themselves up with the rays of the sun. Like touching their spine like right. when they were swimming. That's very good. And I think you may be right. Because when you get into the water, water tries to steal away the heat from your body. And so with that big sail, the sun could shine on it, right? Yeah. And then the rays of the sun would warm that sail up, and that in turn would probably warm up the animal, right? Yep. Nice. Nicely done. All right. So do you have any questions you wanted to ask? What does baryonyx mean? Baryonyx means heavy claw. Heavy claw. When you look at Baryonyx's thumb, it's big. It's like real, like it's like Spinosaurus. They have a big thumb claw as well, and that claw on Baryonyx is really thick, and was very heavy. And so the word Baryonyx in English means heavy claw. Baryonyx is a lot like Spinosaurus. They come from the same family. Some people think that Baryonyx might have had a sail. Mm. You know, they haven't found a complete skeleton that I'm aware of, so it may have even had a sail. How cool would that be? Okay, what other questions? Was that it? I only have one more. All right, what is your question? What does Styracosaurus mean? Ooh, you got me, buddy. You got me. I used to know what Styracosaurus meant, but I don't anymore. I don't anymore. Now, of course, we know the word saurus means lizard or reptile, but what does Styraco mean? Maybe pointy or sharp? Maybe one of those? I'm going to have to look it up. You busted me in front of everybody. You embarrassed me in front of everybody. <laughs> you are smarter than me, you rotten kid. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> well, those are good. Well, listen, Emilio Raptor, you've given me so many great gifts, so many cool things. In fact, when we were in my trophy room in there, mm-hmm. did you see that big Mosasaur you got me? Yeah. That thing is huge. You have one too, right? Yeah. I didn't know it was that big. That's really cool. And so you're one of my best buddies. You're such a smart kid. And I'm so proud of you. And you know so much about dinosaurs. It's pretty impressive. So I am absolutely thrilled that you know that much about it. And there it is. Styracosaurus means spiked lizard. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, Emilio's dad was nice enough to look it up for me. And this who would win is for the podcast. All right. Who would win, T-Rex or a balloon? A balloon, a T-Rex or a balloon? <laughs> I don't know. How am I supposed to do? Okay. T-Rex bites the balloon, swallows it, and chokes on it. Balloon <laughs> wins. The balloon comes out going, I am the greatest. I, I defeated the king. <laughs> I am the king of the balloons. <laughs> T-Rex or a balloon. What kind of a question was that? <laughs> I know. A T-Rex versus a Spinosaurus balloon. Okay, if Spinosaurus is made of a balloon, why are they made of balloons? Okay, if a Spinosaurus, if T-Rex bit him, Spinosaurus will go flying away. Ooh, a a flying Spinosaurus. Ooh, how cool is that? (laughs) Oh, and and then who would win? Velociraptor or a lion? Wow. Okay, that's actually really good. That's a good one. Do you want me to answer it now, or do you want me to include that on the next podcast? Yeah, can do it now. Okay. That's a great question, Emilio. First of all, with the lion, lions are mammals. Mammals' brains are bigger, right? So they're smarter. So right away, the lion has intel, intelligence, intellect. That makes them smarter. Raptors, on the other hand, are more agile. They could jump higher, probably. They could spin. They could turn a little bit faster. Yeah, because they had that uh, killing claw, and they can just kill the lion with it. You're right. That claw could slice that lion open. Let me ask you, who do you choose in that battle? Raptor, because the killing claw. I, I think I agree with you. I think that's a good choice, and this that was great. Well, Emilio, you are my best buddy, and I'm so glad you got to come by and see everything And uh, you and I are going fossil hunting uh, this summer. And uh, like I said, I appreciate you stopping by. Did you have fun? Yeah. Now, did anything out there in the hall bite you? Like, did any of the dinosaurs bite you when you came in? No. Uh, A couple of kids get eaten every now and then, so you haven't gotten out yet. Let me share this with you, Emilio. If one of those dinosaurs out there comes alive, push your dad towards it and run out the door screaming. That's how you survive a dinosaur attack. Does that sound like a good plan? No. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thank you guys so much, Emilio. Thank you, little buddy. Well, all right, my friends. That wraps up another podcast. It was so great having Emilio Raptor and his family come by the studio. I certainly want to thank his mom, dad, uh, for taking time out to bring him over here and to his sister for being such a good big sister. I appreciate how all of you guys encourage Emilio and support him. You're a good family. And Emilio, Emilio Raptor, you're my best bud. All right, everybody, I hope you take care of yourselves and take care of the people around you. For all of you, if you know somebody that likes dinosaurs, please let them know about my podcast, because the more, the merrier. Take care, everybody, and I will see you all soon. 
Thank you for listening to Dinosaur George Kids. Join the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group, become a member of our Patreon club and check out our website store for cool fossils, rocks and crystals. Visit dinosaurgeorge.com for details. Until next time, keep digging for knowledge. Yeah.